Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. All right, y'all, so I'm gonna level with you a little bit. Um, It's just been one of those weeks, so... It's been a super long week, and I'm not going to pull any punches. I am tired up here. Does anybody ever have weeks like that? Um, Yeah, I know, preaching to the choir, right? So this week started out Monday and Tuesday. I had promotion testing at work, and those were both eight-hour days. Really stressful, took it out of me, drained me a little bit, and then the two days after that, I had to go to work, Um, and we had a lot going on. We were super busy, didn't get to sleep much. and then we had a snowstorm roll in. So what happens during these snowstorms is um, they come in at, at weird times, like in the evening when people don't need to drive. And then what happens is they, they lay down ice and snow, and then what do people do in Colorado? They get out and drive. So um, we were off running calls all night, and uh, I ended up having not getting off of work. I usually get off at 8 a.m., and we didn't get off till much later than that and ended up having to stay and having cars pile up on the interstate. And it just made for a long week, right? Um, anybody relate with that? Um, it's, it's just been one of those weeks and, and we're exhausted. And in preparation for tonight's message, one of the things that God was kind of putting on my heart was this term of entitlement, right? And entitlement's a big deal because I don't know why, but I think that's one of the biggest things that all of us suffer for uh, or suffer with, whether it be sin-wise or anything like that, is just entitlement. And I'm a firm believer that most of the reasons why we as humans act a certain way um, or sin a certain way is is mostly survival instincts, right? We don't know any better. Um, That's the purpose of coming to church and being a Christian and, and all of that stuff. But Entitlement's a little bit different, right? So with entitlement, there's no survival aspect to it. It's just something that's built in with it, with a, within us, right? It's just something that we do or that we feel we deserve. Um, and just in that moment, like when I was praying with God and, and preparing for this message, and, and I didn't do a ton of preparation this week like I usually do, I just really felt a strong sense that that's what we were going to talk about this evening. So thinking of a couple of stories in the Bible and getting all that together with the week was just craziness. Um, and I felt that many times in my life. Um, so so one, of the, one of the interesting things I find about the Big C Church, right? When, usually when I talk about church, I'm not specifically talk, talking about Save the Cowboy. Um, but the Big C Church, us as American Christians suffer with, is is that that form of entitlement, right? There's a large there's really three groups of people within the church. There's a large group that loves to be Christians because they feel like they can lord over people. They're the type of Christians that um, are always pointing out your faults, always telling you where you're sinning. They love to lord over people and put people down, and that's why they're Christians, which is wrong, correct? And then you have another type of, of, of Christian in the church, and it's, it's Christians that really love um, 
are really following Jesus and coming to church because they think it's going to get them somewhere, right? We call that the prosperity gospel. And um, there's many, many books and, very, very, and a ton of rich people who have, uh, are borderline billionaires preaching off that. And, and that's bullcrap, right? <laughs> Sorry to... Um, there's nothing that promises you prosperity when you follow Jesus. In fact, in many ways, you're, you're promised the opposite. Um, and then you got the, the third kind, right? Just the true Christian, t- true to themselves, know they're sinners and just want to follow Jesus and be in community and be with each other. And that's the kind of people we want to welcome in, right? But we all suffer from this form of entitlement and, and, um, we reek of entitlement sometimes, but think about this, and this is going to be my question. I always try to pose a question at the beginning of my sermons. Think about this as we go through this story tonight. We reek of entitlement, but meanwhile, we, we, what's the word I'm looking for here? Sorry, I didn't, I didn't, um, all of us think that we have more than we, or that we don't have enough, Meanwhile, we have more than what we deserve. So I want you to think about that as, as we go through this story tonight. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Jonah chapter 4. Um, to set the, kind of set the story with what's going on here is we all know the story of Jonah, and, and I'm going to preference this. Kevin's actually going over this next week. We, I swear we planned that. But... Um, we're going to get a look at a man who was a prophet, right? Back in the day, they didn't have churches like they, like they did now. They didn't have a ton of um, good preachers or things like that that we have. And more importantly, and we've talked about this in the past, they didn't have a way that you could just be with God. So back in the day, they, you couldn't just summon God to pray, right? You had to offer a sacrifice, or you had to go through a holy person, or you had to go to the temple, we take for granted the fact that we just get to be in the presence of, with God today, right? Because of the sacrifice that Christ made. But before Christ, we needed um, um, prophets and um, judges and kings and, and, and things like that. So we're going to look at the story of Jonah today. And I'm going to challenge everybody to get rid of their Sunday school um, way of thinking with that. Um, and, and Kevin's going to go over a little bit in depth next week. He, he studies, he studies this for a while. But what do we know about the prophet Jonah? So we know he was a prophet for one, right? And the story of Jonah starts when God calls Jonah to go to a city called Nineveh. What do we know about the city of Nineveh? Think of a modern day like Las Vegas and multiply that times a million with like how rancid the place was. Um, just a, a ton of crime and just evil, evil people. And there were even reports that these people would do wild things like sacrifice their children and eat them. Um, so it's hard for me to paint a picture and call that, um, call that Las Vegas. But, but think of like a, a town like Las Vegas and multiply that a million. And that's what God has called Jonah to do is to go preach to those people. Um, and if you know the story, instead of listening to what God has told him to do, Jonah does what? He runs, right? Because the smartest thing you can do when the creator of the universe tells you to do something is go and hide. Um, but that's what he does. So he goes and runs, and God pursues him, and 
um, what ends up happening is, is he hops on this boat and um, is, is on his way to Greece. And God, while he's on this boat with these people, God brings about a storm. And these guys are freaking out and Jonah's sleeping. Um, and uh, they're, they're about to capsize, right? So they wake Jonah up and God... Essentially, they say, you know, what's going on? How could you sleep at a time like this? And Jonah essentially admits to these guys, like, hey, God is bringing about this storm because I'm running from them, right? Which is, which is wild to think about because have you guys ever seen cops? Like, one thing I think about when I think about this story is anytime somebody's busted in a vehicle with somebody else on cops, what do they say? Yeah, I don't know that guy. I I just picked him up, right? So I imagine these guys have the same conversation with God. They're like, I don't know this guy. This is my, uh, my uncle's cousin's nephew, <laughs> which the way I said that, I'm pretty sure that would mean your brother, but um, something like that, right? So what happens is these guys freak out and they throw Jonah overboard. And then in comes our Sunday school understanding of Jonah, right? At that point, he's swallowed by a big fish. Um, whether you think it's a whale or a shark or whatever, we can get into those conversations later. I don't care. I mean, and he's, uh, he's swallowed up by this fish and ends up inside of the fish for three days, at which point he's thrown up onto the shore, right? And I don't know what's worse, being swallowed by a, a whale or being regurgitated by a whale. Um, and he finally agrees reluctantly to go to Nineveh. And he preaches to them, and that's where we're going to pick up in this story. Um, he, so right here, let's start off. I'm gonna, we're going to start in Jonah chapter 4, but I want to read the end. This is what it says in verse 3. Um, verse 3, chapter 10. Or chapter 3, verse 10, I apologize. You can tell I'm tired. When God saw what they had done, they being the Ninevites, and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he threatened, right? So he lets Jonah know, go to Nineveh. If these guys do not repent, then I'm, I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to destroy this city and, and their sinful ways. So Jonah goes and he preaches and look what happens. He changes their mind, which causes God to not carry out the destruction. And what does the last verse say here? That made Jonah mad. And, and I think one of the reasons I, I highlighted earlier the fact that Jonah ran was not because he was essentially scared of God. It, you know, he was scared to go to Nineveh and preach and do all this stuff. But I think the real reason Jonah ran in this sense was because he knew that God was going to restore these people. He understood God's mercy, and he did not want that to happen for these people, and I think he, he ran for that reason. Um, we talk about it all the time of him being scared, but he understood the God he served, and he knew that through him God would do this stuff, and quite frankly, he didn't want that. Why do you think that is? And I, I think it's a relatable point because Jonah probably has this contentious relationship with the Ninevites, right? They've most likely murdered his friends. He's seen them do horrible stuff, and I guarantee you they've done horrible stuff for, to him, right? So one of the key things is, is what you see here, why would Jonah be mad? Because Jonah at that point was a modern-day preacher, correct? 
And it is every preacher's dream. Like I do it all the time. I follow prison ministries and things like that. Like I would just love to go into one of these places and preach and have an entire city of 120,000 people fall to their knees and, and give their lives to God. And that's essentially what happens here, right? So why is Jonah mad? It is because Jonah loved God's mercy, but only when it was for him, not for his enemies. And in doing that, Jonah didn't understand God's mercy. So you see, at, at this point, he's mad. He's <clears throat> upset that, that he thought God was on his side and be, bringing vengeance to his enemies, but he didn't understand God's mercy. And when God laid a blanket of mercy upon the Ninevites, like he had many, many times upon Jonah and like he has many times in our life, you see that sense of entitlement start to kick in, right? You see him upset because he is not getting his way. And that's going to be kind of a common theme as we read through here, right? You see a grown man acting like a child because he's not getting his way with God, right? I just kind of summed up the entire book for you in this entire sermon, right? A grown man not getting a grown man throwing a fit because he's not getting his way. And I'll be the first to tell you I'm exactly the same way. Let me ask you a question, guys. Because we can look at this and sit in judgment of Jonah, but we've all felt the same way in our lives, right? There have been many times as Christians that we felt God was on our side, and because so, he would smite our enemy. And we failed to realize that God loves them as much as he loves us. And that may be off-putting, but we should be thankful for that. So this is a question I'm going to ask you guys. Has God done more for you, or have you done more for God? Think about that deeply for a second. Has God done more for you, or have you done more for God? Probably going to be pretty lopsided our scale there, right? And when you take that into account, you'll understand one thing. You deserve nothing from God. Tough to hear, I know. I, Tyler Lowe, deserves nothing from God. Jonah, myself, you guys, by nature, we're all wicked people, right? We're all sinners. We all are going to take the path of least resistance, and that's not how God operates. All of us are so unworthy of, of what God has done for us, but yet we start to feel this sense of entitlement. So ask yourself, have you done more for God, or has God done more for you? And you know what? What do we deserve as 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 Christians, right? If God rewarded us based off of our acts and smited our enemies based off the same criteria, what would we get? Praise God that doesn't happen, right? Because we would all be dead, um, unworthy, burning in hell, right? And I, I hate to, to get that graphic with you, but that's the truth. Because we are all at our core wicked people in need of a Savior, and that's the only the only reason that we are saved is, is because God did something for us that we don't deserve. And that's something we need to remember when we're facing our enemies or facing people who are not formidable in our lives is that we're just as wicked as they are and we're all undeserving people. So praise God, right? Praise God that we do not get what we deserve from him. So let's carry on here in Jonah chapter four. It says this in verse one. Or Jesus says this, I apologize. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? 
Um, I'm sorry, that's in verse four. Verse five, then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord, so, so you see it here, right? Like he's, he's making his bed and was like, you know what? I, I didn't get my way, but God's about to do something. I know it and I'm going to love it. And my enemies are going to be spited, right? And here's what happens. Jonah went out to the east side of the city, made a shelter to sit and waited to see what would happen to the city. And then a Lord, the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. Yin, yin and yang here, right? And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on, on Jonah. Then the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, it is right for you to be angry, or is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. And what we see here is a roller coaster of emotions. Why do you think that is? Any of you parents in here? Does this remind you of your child? Right? Roller coaster of emotions, up and down. When I get something, I'm happy. When, when things don't go my way, I'm cursing God, right? Or I'm cursing my parents or I'm cursing my boss. We all suffer through these roller coaster of, of emotions. And that's because what you see here and what you see in us is that Jonah's emotions are tied to getting what he wants. That's why you got that range and those inconsistencies, right? And can any of you say that we're any different from Jonah? All of our emotions are tied to us getting what we want. Um, and then when God sends a worm and sun and, and, and heat and wind our way, we crumble, right? It's almost like God's trying to teach him a lesson here. And my favorite part about reading, um, I'll, I'll say about my own spiritual maturity, and I'll take a moment to humbly brag here, so forgive me. My favorite part about reading stories in the Bible um, is reading through and realizing that every story has an antagonist, um, and I relate 100% with the antagonist of that story, right? I read through Jonah, and I'm like, you know what? That is me. And I read, um, I read through like um, Exodus when, when the uh, Israelites were freed, and God literally freed them from hundred year, hundreds of years of slavery, parted seas for them, destroyed their enemies and drowned them to death. And then I read them complain as they waited 38 years in, in the wilderness. And you know what I say? That's me. One of my favorite things about my spiritual maturity is realizing that um, by nature, I'm the antagonist in every um, one of these stories. And my favorite thing is that God is always the protagonist. He's always providing a way. He's always looking out for you. He's always um, doing what is best for you, even if it means teaching you a lesson. We are the antagonists in these stories, right? And here's the problem. Um, Jonah's upset, right? He feels like he's, he's lost. Um, the, the three words I use to define it is he's lost his peace, worth, and joy, right? And we've all been there in our lives. But here's the thing, we can get upset about, all the, about that all we want, but your peace, your worth, and your joy are not tied to what happens to you, but instead tied to what happened for you. Think about that for a second. 
We can get mad because things aren't going our way and we see this happening to Jonah, but he forgot one thing. His peace, his joy, and his worth were given to him by God and he's upset because he's letting the world take that from him, right? But here's the thing. The world cannot take your guys' joy. The world can't take Jonah's joy or my joy. You want to know why? Because the world didn't give it to you in the first place. That came from Christ's sacrifice, and, and we've said it here before, that joy, joy and happiness to not confuse those two things. We can be unhappy and still be filled with joy, and that's what we don't see from Jonah here, and that's what we don't see so many times in our lives. The world can't take your joy from you. It can take your happiness. It can take many things from you, but it cannot take your joy because it did not give it to you in the first place. Maturity is realizing that, right? Spiritual maturity is realizing that no matter what happens, my joy in life comes from the fact that I get to spend time in eternity because God, made a, God sent his son to die for me and made that sacrifice. World can't take your guys' joy. Sorry, working my iPad here a little bit. Every day I have this choice, right? We're examining Jonah and I, like I told you, I, I look through it and I'm like, I look so much like him. But every day I have this choice. Like, I look so much like Jonah, but we don't have to. You look so much like Jonah, but you don't have to. What I want to do is look more like Paul. We, we spent, you know, our last sermon series talking about Paul, but so many times I look like Jonah and I failed to look like Paul. And what I mean by that is he says this in Philippians 4, very famous verse, right? Not that I ever, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content in whatever I have. I know to live, or I, I know how to live in almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret to living in every situation, whether it be with a full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty or with little. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Like the most misunderstood verse in the Bible there. I, I have it tattooed on my shoulder. Um, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. Ask yourself, do you look more like Paul? Or do we look like Jonah in these circumstances, right? Because I'd venture to say this, Jonah is probably more talented than Paul. He's probably given, been given more spiritual gifts, um, probably has, has more leadership, and God's probably, in general, if you take their lives into account, has looked upon him with more favor, right? Jonah didn't have to suffer through, I know he was in the belly of a well or whatever you want to call it, but Jonah didn't have to go through the physical suffering Paul did. So why do we see such, such differences in these two? And we talked about it last week. Because one still chooses to look at his circumstances with joy because he knows what's in store for him. And one is upset because he's not getting his way because his emotions with God and his relationship with God depends entirely upon if he's getting his way or not. Sound like your children? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Think about that in the context of your job. How often are you upset with your boss because you don't get your way or because things aren't going your way at work or whatever? Do you look more like Paul 
or do you look like Jonah? Because we, we paint this picture of Jonah, right? That, that um, the Sunday school picture, right? He's like in there camping in, in this well's belly and, and roasting marshmallows and um, doing all these crazy adventures, right? Inside the well, and then he's vomited up and he, uh, he goes to Nineveh and saves them and him and God's relationship is great, right? Let's examine that real quick. And in closing, Jonah 4 goes on to say this. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly, and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? So God is speaking to this man of God, a, a person who's supposed to be spreading his word, who carries that burden with him, right? And he's upset because God just worked a miracle in 120,000 people. And what I love, it, 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 what God is saying here, is it, it, it ends very weirdly, right? Like that's the book of Jonah right there. There's no happiness to be found here. And it ends talking about the animals. Anybody find that weird? What God is saying to him is like, hey man, if, if you're so upset and you're, gonna, you're so distraught over this and you don't have what it, what's in you to care about all these people, can you at least care about their animals? Can you at least care for the livestock and the fact that those are feeding you? If you, as a man of God, can't find it in yourself to be thankful that 120,000 people are about to join you in eternity, the most evil city in really the history of the world, you can make an argument for Sodom and Gomorrah and all that stuff, but one of the most evil cities in the history of the world, through Jonah, is converted and comes to Christ, and he's upset about that. The entire book of Jonah can be summed up really in this one sentence. We said Jonah didn't understand God's mercy, but here's the real thing about the book of Jonah. I'm going to sum it up for you here in one sentence. Jonah's heart looked nothing like God's heart. My heart, Tyler's heart, that's weird talking in the third person, um, looks nothing like God's heart, and that is my biggest downfall as a human. That's my biggest downfall as a Christian, right? Jonah wanted vengeance and didn't understand God's mercy, even though a thousand times in his life uh, he was the recipient of that mercy, right? And that, again, that is so relatable to me. That is just how we are as Christians, and I don't get it, and it's something that I want to work better towards. I want my heart and I want your guys' heart to match God's heart towards us. And sometimes we, we don't want that, right? And that's what we see in this story. And it reminds me a lot of, of a couple other stories. So you guys know what parables are, right? Jesus spoke in parables and they're essentially stories that teach a lesson and um, not really true, but they, they have real life effect to what he was trying to teach. He spoke to the Pharisees that way and he, he spoke to the, the disciples and people he was teaching in, in, in what we call parables, which is him telling stories. Any parables come to mind when I bring up that word? How about when you read this story? One that came up to me, or there, there's two that really stand out. Anybody heard the parable of the lost sheep? So, so Christ is, is talking about the fact that that 
and, and it's really a display of God's mercy. The fact that no matter what happens, he cares and loves about you so much that if, if, there, if he's watching 100 sheep and one leads itself astray, that he leaves the 99 to go find one. Remind you of this story? Think about how deep that is in context of Jonah. That God, no matter, no matter how much you falter or, or go astray and how much you leave your community, God will go and pursue you and find you. That is a big deal, correct? Because here's the thing. Just like Jonah didn't understand God's mercy towards the Ninevites, we, we don't understand God's mercy as the sheep in that parable until what? We don't understand God's mercy when we're one of the 99 sheep but we understand it when we're the one that's lost and we've all been there. Another parable that came to mind, and I think this is actually has a more direct correlation to the book of Jonah, is the, the parable of the prodigal son. Anybody ever heard that? What happens with the, the parable of the prodigal son is, is you have a father who has two sons. Um, and I'm, I'm really gonna paraphrase this and probably butcher it. Um, but he's wealthy, and, and he decides that, that he's going to divide his wealth uh, between his two sons. And he has one son that, that, that's a, a, a great godly man, does what's asked of him, and he has one son that's a tad bit of a wild card, right? Anybody relate with the wild card in here? Oh, yeah. And what happens is it, it, it says... When he divided his inheritance between his sons, his one loyal son, we'll call him, stayed, um, stayed true to him, worked around him, took care of him. And then he had one son that left and blew all that money that he got in his inheritance, right? However that looked. Um, and it says that that son actually blew his money so bad that, that he was living amongst pigs, right? He had no food to eat. Um, and he disgraced his family, right, by leaving them. And then what you see is after an amount of time, he comes back and his father sees him walking up the driveway and runs to him and is just so joyful that he's back. And the other son doesn't get it. The other son's upset because um, he had done what it was expected of him and he had... Um, served his purpose, and he always did the right thing, and he took care of his dad, and his nuisance of a brother took his money, ran, disgraced the family, and um, blew all that money, and now my dad's welcoming him back with open arms. How many of you have been the prodigal son in your lives? How many of us, and I know I have, have been the one sheep that wandered and got lost, right? understand something, my friends. Our joy is not tied to our life circumstances, right? Because this life is temporary and we have eternity waiting from us and the world can't take my joy because the world didn't give it to me in the first place. And understand something else. Because maybe there's some of you guys that are struggling. Maybe some of you guys have somebody you need to forgive. Um, but more importantly, maybe some of you guys need to get rid of some entitlement that you have in your lives. Jesus loves you and has as much mercy for you as he does for your enemies. 
And it's so important that we as, as spiritually mature Christians take upon a heart that looks like God's. That we live a life that looks like Paul's, right? Not Jonah's. Because what we see is this man that, that was rotting in the stomach of a fish, was regurgitated onto a shore. He probably smelt terrible. Um, he develops this bitterness, um, even though like this wonderful miracle just happened, but he develops this bitterness towards people that God loves because he himself didn't understand God's mercy. And my prayer for you guys, and, and as we go into this week, is that you guys don't have that same sort of entitlement. This is the first of two sermons you're going to hear about Jonah, and this is just my take on it, right? Because this entitlement that you see leads to bitterness, and, and we've talked about it before at nauseum at this point, that bitterness in our relationship gets in the way of what God's trying to do in our lives. And that's where you start to see your loss of joy, your loss of happiness. People leave the church. You turn away from God because you're letting the world take something from you that it didn't give to you in the first place. And I think really that's the, the story of Jonah is that no matter what, no matter what happens, we're all equally loved by God and nobody is entitled to anything that God isn't going to give to somebody else. And we suffer from that as a church. I would venture to say, and, and I know these people in here pretty well, you guys are our tight-knit Sunday night crew, that not a lot of people suffer from that we all have at some point. Don't be entitled. Be grateful for what God has given you and take those blessings that God has bestowed on your life, those gifts that he's given you, and use it to help other people. Even if it's people that you may see as your foe or people that have not been great to you because we're all in need of mercy and at some point um, you needed it from God and all of us, every single one of us is super unworthy, but God chose to send his son and die for us anyways. And there's just something powerful in that, right? That you are loved so much that he would pursue, pursue you at the sake of leaving 99 of your peers behind. Super deep. Well, let's go to God in prayer, guys. Lord, I just pray a special prayer tonight that if anybody's suffering from bitterness or entitlement or, or anybody feels that they have not lived up to you, God, may you, may you just show them that you're a merciful God and that, that you love us no matter what our circumstances are, that you're the God of the mountain as you are the God of the valley, and that we all have this opportunity to impact each other and to help grow each other and to, to pour into each other, even our enemies, Lord. I pray that, that in my life that you use me. Lord, if I was ever in the position to, to convert 120,000 sinners to you, Lord, may that always just be a blessing. Um, and, and may these people use their spiritual gifts and may I use our spiritual gifts to always remember that you are merciful and, and that you owe us nothing and you gave us everything. And may we be so grateful for that. It's in your name we pray, amen.